Here in Orlando, Florida, O-Town Compost is leading the composting revolution, recycling organic waste into a nutrient-rich resource. Join Charlie Pioli, founder of O-Town Compost, as we hear from the nation's leading voices behind the grassroots community composting movement. Welcome to the Community Composting Podcast. Please rate and review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. If you feel like this is good content and you're learning a lot about composting. Hey, welcome to episode number 33 of the Community Composting Podcast. I have here today and another special guest, Ryan Cooper of Rubicon Global. Uh, Ryan is, you know, he does a lot more in the organics industry besides working for Rubicon. I first, Ryan first came to my attention when he wrote uh, a waste dive article uh, back in the day when I was working at my old job about food waste and really piqued my interest. Also, he sits on the, the U.S. Composting Council board and uh, overall is just like a, a industry leader in the organics industry. So, Ryan, welcome. Thank you so much, Charlie. I'm really honored to be here. Yeah, so I'm curious, like, where do you see organic? Like, let me ask first, how did you find your way into this industry? And what is your favorite part? I know my mentor, Gary Bilbro, he said he's kind of been there supporting you from the very beginning, just like he's supporting me. So, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So uh, lots of roots in North Carolina. Um, you know, I really started um, getting into composting um, first in agriculture and horticulture. Uh, you know, I've been an arborist and a landscaper and a farmer and a gardener. And every Farmer and gardener knows that compost is black gold and it's uh, absolutely medicine for soil and plants and life in general. And so um, when I had my landscaping company, um, you know, used compost in all my installations and then I was managing a 400 acre piece of property in North Carolina outside of Asheville and uh, it was a art school that, um, you know, was uh, feeding 200 people ish uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner. And I was supposed to be in charge of the ornamental plants there. Um, but from day one, I said, no, 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 no. None of this food waste is going into the landfill um, because all my experience on the farm is that uh, it was very unscientific at the time, but if you, you know, your cow dies or your chickens get mauled and you put them in a pile, it turns into beautiful black soil. And I've, I've learned a lot since then, because when I started taking that food waste out of that dumpster um, in, um, in North Carolina uh, and, and uh, actually started uh, what turned out to be a state permitted composting facility, um, you know, I 
through that permitting process, learn that not only is there a lot of regulations around it, um, but there's also a lot of science around it. And um, it's it can be as simple as putting it in a pile. Um, but, you know, when you start talking about uh, commercial composting facilities and even uh, backyard and community scale, uh, there's a lot to it. Um, so really, you know, after that, um, you know, went to grad school and wrote a thesis on every municipal anaerobic digestion and composting facility that I could find in the U.S. and Canada. Then I went over to Europe and was writing for BioCycle. I was over there and seeing, uh, you know, it just seemed like they were so far ahead. So, you know, visited a farm that turned their chicken poop and grass clippings into vehicle fuel and, um, you know, visited places like Italy where, you know, every uh, grocery bag had to be certified compostable plastic. So um, just learned a lot and worked for the Sustainable Packaging Coalition, um, helping businesses in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, like the uh, Carolina Panthers and, um, you know, YMCA uh, divert their food scraps from the landfill. Um, and then finally, in 2015, joined Rubicon. Um, and so now I get to roll out programs all throughout the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and it's good that you have like a background in actually composting and like on farm composting that probably really gives you some insight when you're, uh, you know, talking with community composters around the country and uh, making programs. Um, so what does your job entail with Rubicon and just a preface Rubicon, uh, they're you know, they do a lot of things. People have called them the Uber of trash, uh, but they're mainly focused in technology, but they also do a lot of great things for the waste industry, like they're waste brokers. Um, and, you know, they send O-Town compost. They send us a lot of opportunities to start new organics programs with corporate corporate food service businesses, Chipotle, Starbucks, to name a few. Um, but also Rubicon, you know, I used, in my old job, I used to do waste audits for Rubicon. So they actively work with their clientele to reduce their waste and, you know, come up with zero waste goals. Um, but you're leading the organics division of Rubicon. What is that? Uh, what is that role like? It's really exciting. So whether it's a grocery store or a food distribution company or a cold storage facility or a food manufacturer or a corporate cafeteria, I like to say that wherever there's people, there's food scraps because there's one person that's not going to eat the crust of their peanut butter and jelly sandwich or the core of their apple or, you know, the, the peel of their banana. And so, um, you know, we get to develop, you know, really big programs and really small programs. 
Um, you know, we, we really uh, look at the EPA food recovery hierarchy. So the first thing that we do is try to eliminate food waste in the first place wherever possible. And then uh, we look at food donation programs, animal feed programs, composting, anaerobic digestion, um, you know, mixed fuel, biodiesel, it all depends on the, the material um, and the, you know, geographical area and the infrastructure that's available. So, um, you know, really, no matter what kind of client it is, um, you know, just look at the, the best, highest and best use for the material that they have and, you know, who is in that area um, and what's the best program that we can put uh, in place for them. Yeah, that's awesome. You're, you know, indirectly diverting just tons of waste. Um, but how does Rubicon work uh, with community composters? And I can share a little bit about that. But yeah, go ahead and, you know, talk a little bit about that. Sure. So, you know, when I started in, in 2015, you know, I want to say our network was about, you know, 300 uh, organics haulers, you know, now it's literally, you know, I just got off of back to back calls with folks that are, you know, popping up everywhere to address this problem. And it's super exciting. And, you know, the really cool part is that, we have these customers that really want to divert their organics and I have the opportunity with my team to find the folks that are doing it and um, you know it, it's it's been really amazing because whether it's catching them on on day one or you know year one or sometimes they've been around for five years and we hadn't heard of them, but then, you know, we make that connection, we're able to plug them in um, and really create, you know, this, this really thriving network of all these entrepreneurs that are stepping up to address the food waste challenge. And again, it could be, you know, Bokashi or Black Soldier Flies or, you know, community composters or large scale compost haulers, you know, uh, folk can be vertically integrated or just haulers. Um, you know, it's, it's really cool because we get to talk to, you know, everybody in the industry um, and hopefully, you know, use that network to uh, help these companies to uh, meet their diversion goals and um, really these, these states and counties and cities and regional diversion goals, um, but also, you know, help these uh, composters, um, you know, really uh, get uh, the business that can help hopefully um, you know, in, in increase their uh, volume and density um, and revenue. Yeah, and it, you're you're right about that. I mean, Institute of Local Self Reliance in their listserv, they welcome the new community composters, and it's seeming like all the time there's new ones popping popping up in smaller and smaller communities. You know, you all the urban cities in the United States are at least most of them are covered, but uh, by organics haulers, but now like, you know, Akron, Ohio, um, you know, Gainesville, Florida, just like smaller ones are, are seeing, are attracting uh, someone in that community who wants to step up to fill that role. And I wish 
you know, I, a lot of these opportunities you're sending are commercial and they're big commercial, you know, they're 64, 32 gallon totes. Uh, it, it is extremely difficult for a small community composter with maybe just a pickup truck to be able to handle that. Uh, I wish, you know, USDA or someone saw the value of giving grants, you know, you know, it would be amazing if every year there was a grant for like a 10 or a dozen park and easy dumps, you know, because that's the vehicle we started picking up um, from our commercial clients from and but yeah, I mean, I think Rubicon really facilitates that well. And um, I know Rubicon, you know, is mostly focused in technology, like uh, they're really into smart cities. Uh, and maybe could you explain what smart city technology is for people? Sure. And, you know, just to be clear, I'm not on the Rubicon Smart Cities team, but it's a it's a wonderful practice that we have where we partner with dozens of cities around the world to implement technology in municipal fleets to make them more efficient and save taxpayer dollars. And so I just spoke at the U.S. Composting Council with the city of San Antonio and it's really exciting because what we did was we implemented uh, technology in their organics collection fleet so that when they stopped and picked up um, their organics carts, our technology could actually identify contamination. And in the hopper, right? In the yep. hopper of the truck. Exactly. And so that's just one example of where we would like to see municipal fleets as roaming data centers. So whether it's a, you know, waste and recycling vehicle or a street sweeper or a snowplow, vehicles that are going down, um, you know, city streets every day, week in, week out, they can collect a lot of information around waste and recycling, but also road conditions or potholes or low hanging branches and things like that. So um, just a, a lot of opportunity there to uh, implement technology. And, you know, of course, we do focus a lot of that on um, helping uh, cities improve their, their waste and recycling programs. Yeah, I could see how that information can really help out the city and the hauler build a successful program um, as a feedback loop. You know, if you're getting contamination per, by the stop because there's a sensor within the hopper of the truck, you know where your contaminators are. You know who, who you need to reach out to. And, um, you know, if it, if it comes to it, you know whose cart you need to take away. So um, that's amazing. I've even heard like the, the composter, you know, the processor there in San Antonio in a public-private partnership is Atlas Organics. And Joe McMillan, I just had on the podcast, episode number 31. But people have even said that, what about like that, uh, if, you know, Atlas Organics has like a, an arm, like a AI picker on their processing line, 
in the pre-processing line actually. So the feedstock comes into the composting site, goes across the conveyor belt, and an AI arm picks out contamination. How could that, uh, how could those technologies like have synergy? Is there any talk about that? Definitely, that's what gets me so excited is, you know, what if, when the truck arrives at the facility, um, you know, Atlas's team already knows that truck number 305 has, you know, a couple carts that fell in, maybe, you know, seven bags of trash and a beach ball. Um, and, you know, their team could, you know, manually look for some of that. Or, you know, if there was API and integration, maybe even the, the robot could look for that number. And then if, you know, if it only found seven out of eight, we know that, you know, one got missed somehow. So there's just a, a lot of potential there. Yeah. And you could even like, you know, if a, if a truck is heavily contaminated, you could even like divert the truck, you know, to the landfill. Because right now in Orange County, Florida, you know, now recycling has improved, but 95% of trucks would get rejected at the, the recycling facility. And they had to dump on the tipping floor and then the guy would assess the load and then they would have to, that he would reject it. They would have to scoop it, all the material back into the truck and it would have to go to the landfill, which is like our, our MRF is on the coast of Florida. So it's easily, you know, a 50 mile drive. So all that just to get rejected and then you got to come back. So it almost would be more beneficial for the environment if they could just spot it before that happens. So, but yeah, so I want to ask you as someone who's really tuned in to the industry, is there any new technology out there for food waste recycling or big players or new technology to like you would suggest to keep your eye on as um, you know someone who's really fascinating that kind of stuff I think that you know routing software and um, alerts so service alerts and contamination alerts because um, unfortunately, as you just mentioned in recycling, um, organics recycling is, I would argue, you know, just as much, if not more sensitive to contamination. And so that feedback of, you know, making sure that folks know when contamination happens. Um, so really any of the uh, technology that we just talked about, about identifying technology, but also that, you know, process of notifying the customer with a photo and, you know, having them acknowledge the contamination um, and, and hopefully correct it moving forward. I think that, that that's one thing that, that gets me excited. Yeah. And a lot of us community composters use Stop Suite or Stop Checker. And um, I think Brent does a pretty good job. But <clears throat> yeah, I, I think, um, you know, today we just did a route today. It's our heaviest route. And our driver flagged two customers with contamination. She flags it 
and then types in the notes field she'll put in the name of the the item you know um today it was these plastic bags that aren't bpi certified they're just green tinted plastic bags you know we got to struggle with that greenwashing all the time so she put that into the notes and flagged it for contamination and uh, an email bounced to the customer on file and um it basically had like the whole email already written out she just had to shoehorn in the item and it, it definitely alerted the customer what was wrong but i think if if yeah i think that's like exactly what you need to do and the driver has the ability to take a picture so there's no discrepancy that's awesome um do you feel like uh i know you you guys work with some big corporations um food and service industry etc but do you feel like i mean from your perspective do you feel like corporations are becoming more conscious of their organic waste? And if so, why? I think they definitely are. Um, I'd like to think that, you know, a lot of people are. Um, you know, one thing that is a driver is regulations. Um, so, you know, Washington State um, just passed their regulation, which is really exciting. Um, but obviously, you know, California and Vermont are really leading the way. Um, you know, you've got cities like Boulder, Colorado and Austin, Texas um, that have their, you know, universal recycling laws. Um, and then, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of regulations out there around not just organics and food waste, but also packaging, um, that, you know, corporations and businesses everywhere are really trying to figure out how to navigate that at all times. And, um, so there's, you know, I think of regulation as really pushing the people that um, don't necessarily want to go in that direction, um, but like leading the tip of that spear is a lot of companies that are way out ahead and have been doing this stuff for years and didn't need that regulation to pass for them to do the right thing. And so, you know, part of it is that they recognize that it's a resource. Um, you know, another part of it is that, um, you know, people have diversion goals, they have carbon reduction goals, and those are becoming more and more important. Um, you know, ESG reporting is more important, and it's important for investors, it's important for stakeholders, it's important across the value chain that people are making commitments, people are following through with those commitments. And so luckily, food waste is really heavy. It's really got a really great impact on diversion and uh, from the landfill. And it's got a really huge impact on reducing greenhouse gases. So it really checks a lot of boxes. And it's so circular, you know, as the director of, of circular economy solutions at Rubicon, the circular economy, the, the easiest example is, you know, food, you know, like the carrot top that you don't want to eat, you know, you put it in your compost, it turns into soil, you grow another carrot, 
like cycle complete. I mean, it's really super easy to tap into. Um, whereas some of the other materials are just harder to make that circle work. And so I think it's, it's low hanging fruit. I'm perplexed though, by, you know, Starbucks and Chipotle, two of the, the opportunities you sent our way, they don't, you know, I, I would assume they would want to trumpet from the mountaintops, you know, how they're, they have a compost program, but they're very discreet about it. And uh, maybe they're just, you know, getting out ahead of the game because there are other locations in the state of California where it's, it's mandated, you know, they, they went through it out there and they realize it's really not too difficult so they're like, hey, we'll just roll this out in, in Florida as well. But why is that? You know, why don't they want to get that positive public uh, feedback, publicity? I, th I think the honest answer is that folks are nervous to talk about their successes because as soon as you know, somebody says something publicly, um, then, you know, people start picking at it and, um, you know, trying to criticize that, you know, it's, it's kind of like that no good deed goes unpunished. Um, I feel like a lot of folks don't want to open themselves up to criticism, even though to, to your point, I've always wondered that, um, you know, why don't folks um, really shout it out to the public? Because that would help educate the public that that was a positive thing, because a lot of us that are in the know get really excited, but a lot of people don't even really realize that it is something exciting. So if you talk about it in an excited way, it will bring a lot of people, you know, with them. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know why folks don't, um, you know, tout their success as much yeah. as maybe. And you know. I mean, if Starbucks were to say that all their locations are composting, imagine the pressure that would put on other co coffee chains, um, you know, same with Chipotle, you know, so it, it's really unfortunate, but I think we'll get there for sure. And composters, it's on us to do a really good job, you know, make sure that their bins aren't getting nasty. We're not missing pickups. Um, we, we need to get rid of that negative connotation that surrounds uh, composting. As you start to take on more food scraps, you realize very quickly that you need a better composting system to process the material. This is why I highly recommend the aerated static pile micro bin designed and made easy by O2 Compost. In 60 days, I have finished compost without putting in the labor of turning the pile. The piles heat up to over 140 degrees, killing pathogens, weed seeds, and fly larvae making the end product safe to use in the garden. With 32 plus years of experience in the compost industry, Peter Moon, owner of O2 Compost, is a leading expert in the field of ASP composting. I encourage you to set up a free half an hour consultation with Peter Moon by going to his website, www.o2compost.com. That's the letter O, the number two, compost.com. If you mentioned that you heard about O2 Compost on this podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount on the purchase of the Microbin Compost Training Program. 
So, yeah, I mean, Rubicon, you guys work with, you know, Starbucks, Chipotle, Sweet Greens, to name a few. How many tons, Ryan, do you feel like you've diverted indirectly from the landfill by just pairing up haulers with, uh, you know, potential businesses? Like you said to me that one third of Chipotle's are currently uh doing composting yep so yeah personally um you know it's it's hundreds of thousands of tons which uh, makes me feel uh, really really good um about you know the impact that we're all having as a a network on uh, diverting food scraps from the landfill so it's definitely a a really really uh fulfilling position that is for sure and you know the biggest thing is just that um you know i get to work with you know folks like you guys that are actually uh, doing the work on the ground and making it happen so uh, that's my favorite part yeah And um, I mean, that's crazy, hundreds of thousands of tons. Um, You know, what what do you feel like are the challenges for uh, the clients out there like Starbucks and Chipotle? And what are the challenges for the haulers that you've seen? I think it's one and the same with the contamination. I think that there is also a lack of education. So that is absolutely huge. Um, You know, you've got to get champions on every level, but there is a lot of turnover and there is a lot of disconnect. And so when folks don't understand um, why it's important or know exactly what goes in the bin and what doesn't. Um, You know, I think that there is a lot of, as you said, uh, nervousness around odor and pests and, um, you know, uh, just another thing to do. There's a lot of issues around space constraints. Um, And so, you know, and, and I'll say that, you know, cost is definitely an impact as well. Um, so I think that there's plenty of challenges that um, both customers and haulers have. Um, and I think that, you know, most of the time it's, it is a joint effort. So I think that most of the time those haulers um, are sort of battling the same, the same issues as the, the customers themselves. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and what do you feel like is the most successful program composting? Well, this is kind of a, a weird question, but is there a composting program in your memory that you can talk about went from, you know, just the pits to turning around completely and I, I asked that because I'll share a, a story about um, one of our clients. Um, you know, they started off with three 64-gallon bins, almost 900 to 1,000 pounds we were picking up every week. As far as contamination, all they had was a couple plastic gloves in there, very manageable. And then you know, quickly, I don't know if there was turnover in the restaurant, but quickly they started 
just filling the bins with plastic and shrink wrap and it was getting really bad um and then you know i i reached out to rubicon and told him about the the issue and it it turned around immediately the next week where it was back to the one or two plastic gloves and easily like 900 to a thousand pounds i later find out that the manager of that uh restaurant is like really she's she's bought in herself you know she's a environmental proponent um it didn't really have much to do with rubicon but it was still you know a miracle and i and you know i ended up seeing the manager uh, at the dumpster when i was doing my pickup the next week and she was like really thrilled but from your memory can you can you tell a story of like how a program has turned around and why? That's a good question. Um, so I think, you know, I think about it a little bit more broadly in that we're dealing with that, you know, every day, all day. Um, and so I think that um, the best, you know, examples are when, like sometimes, um, you know, folks were using bins as linen bins or, you know, trash bins, and they had no idea that, you know, the organics carts were even for food scraps and, and what the program was. And then, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of persistence to, you know, ping them over and over and over again and, um, you know, get their supervisors, the regional leaders and, uh, you know, the even the, the folks at headquarters to, to chime in. And eventually, you know, you get a response like, oh, I didn't really know about this program and, oh, okay, you know, this is how you do it. And it's it slowly, um, you know, you, you do get buy-in. And so, you know, I, unfortunately, you know, I, I deal with that, you know, over and over again, but I can't think of a, a single one um, that, you know, sticks out in my head, but I do know that eventually, you know, with enough persistence, because, you know, as we've said, there are folks that get it instantaneously and, you know, there are folks that don't. And so, you know, sometimes it's training after training after training. Um, and if that's what it takes, then, um, you know, at the end of the day, I get really excited when you finally get that response. That's like, oh, wait, I, I never saw the email. Uh, I'm supposed to use liners. Like, wait, I'm supposed to have a Slim Jim. And it's like, da da da, like comes to life. And it's really exciting. Yeah, you've probably seen it all by now. Um, and yes, I, I, you know, I, I fully believe that, you know, you, you shouldn't fire clients in this industry because like, it's such a new thing it's more rewarding to try to work with them and really educate them, get them to understand why they're diverting their food waste, why they're source separating it. Uh, you know, my old business partner, he used to do commercial pickups and one restaurant just consistently would contaminate their dumpster area was like a mess, which probably reflected 
you know, the restaurants management style. But um, I think that, you know, by just persisting, you know, that's how you uh, implement like wide scale change. And I, I, I definitely agree, you know, uh, I mean, organizationally, I, I schedule not only emails, but like two or three follow-up emails. So that way, uh, my clients, you know, I don't forget sending out these emails to my clients and, you know, I, I'm not afraid to just get ghosted. <laughs> it happens like every day. So. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to that patience and that compassion and the education piece that um, to you, exactly to your point, sometimes it's, you know, a new person every, you know, time you reach out and you have to kind of start from scratch. But that's where we are today until, you know, enough kids learn it in school and it's, you know, widespread enough that it just becomes what you do. But until then, you know, I, I don't think it's anybody's fault that folks don't immediately know exactly what goes in which bin and, you know, having, um, you know, worked at a lot of music festivals and farmers markets where, you know, there's a trash can and a recycling bin and an organics bin, people really want to do the right thing. And especially when you're standing there, yeah. you know, they tend to like walk up and <laughs> like you can see on their face that they want help because, you know, they might not, know the right decision but they they want to know and it's very confusing and um you know really doing that with a bunch of professionals you know sometimes we don't even know you know exactly what kind of resin it is and if it's recyclable in that market and because the country is so fragmented you know if you go from municipality to municipality and state to state uh, it's really hard to know what's accepted in each program. And really, you know, a lot of organic haulers are different in what they will and won't take. So there's a lot of variation right now. Um, and it's not a standardized answer, which makes it more difficult, the education piece more difficult. But if you're not going there, giving a training at the very least, you know, with the kitchen staff, you're kind of hurting yourself. So you can't complain about contamination if you're like not making an effort. You know, I've I've like revised my signage probably like five times right now. And my girlfriend is a graphic designer, so she does our infographic. And I have to take her out to dinner every single time we revise the infographic just because, you know, she's busy with her own work. She doesn't want to do that. So I'm willing to take her out to expensive dinner if we can just like update our infographic. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I love to, you know, hear more of your perspective about the organics recycling industry. You know, you said you were in Europe and you mentioned a couple examples how they're ahead of the game. Um, you know, do you, do you think that their perception of like organic waste is different from Americans? They're not as, they don't immediately jump to, oh, it's smelly and attracts pests. I have thought about this a lot and 
I think that people are more used to following rules maybe and having rules. Um, you know, an example that I'll use a, around standing at those uh, stations and having someone say, don't tell me what to do with my trash. You know, yeah. uh, there's an attitude around, you know, I'm not going to follow a rule or, you know, there are no rules in nine municipalities, but then you get to one municipality and it's like, there's tons of rules. So um, I think that, you know, first of all, it's probably easier in smaller countries to make a more standardized policy. Um, and I think that folks are just more likely to kind of, um, you know, follow rules around trash and recycling. Um, you know, I think in the U.S. there's a really big emphasis on convenience. And I think a lot of people just want to do the easiest thing, you know, a lot of the time. And, you know, I think that when I think about my house, you know, I can't even imagine it, but maybe it would just be easier to have, you know, one trash can instead of, a, you know, compost container on my counter and a trash under my sink and a recycling bucket in the mudroom, you know, I mean, maybe it would be easier. Um, but, you know, I love going through the effort of, you know, conserving those resources, but I think a lot of folks they're busy, they got a lot of things on their mind, and especially in a commercial setting where they're trying to get a job done, they're trying to do the thing that they were hired to do and the business that they're trying to run. Uh, I think it's hard and it's understandable that, you know, folks don't wanna take another step and take on another thing, but, um, you know, I, I think that maybe folks are more willing to do that in other places. Yeah, I, I agree. Americans are obsessed with freedom. Um, and also, I, I still don't believe that source separating our food waste is much more difficult than uh, trash, because if you put the compost recycle bin next to the trash, you know, it's all right there. So you just got to take those items and choose the right bin. And that's where education comes into play. But um. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, it's just, you know, here in Florida, you know, we we have a fair amount of. Well, I I I think that it's like about ten percent of the population, five or ten percent, are just like not gonna listen. They're just gonna do their own thing, and that's fine. But. You know, if they're not going to, you know, recycle their food scraps or just recycle, period, that's that's money. That's like cost on the local government. And I think the local government should, you know, have the right to bill them for that uh, inability, you know, inability to like participate. And uh, that's why, like, you know, my personal opinion with uh, contaminators of recycling is like if they consistently week after week roll out their their cart to the curb and, uh, you know, they're they get a bunch of oops tags, they're educated, you know, you try to educate them maybe after the fourth week of that, you just straight up take away their cart 
and you charge them like more than you would, you know, more for their trash than you would normally. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that seems fair to me because this, this material goes into the landfill. Tipping fees are only going up in time. So, you know, someone's got to pay for it and it shouldn't be the local government who's invested all this money in educating their residents. I do think that pay as you throw is a really smart idea because one thing that Americans in my experience have tended to listen to is that almighty dollar. And so um, if you make it more expensive to throw something away and, you know, you enforce recycling, right. um, Then I think everybody wins, you know, the residents save money, the city saves money and uh, you know, it's better for the environment. Yeah, pay as you throw is definitely the best curbside uh, system that I've ever come across. Uh, in Europe, do they use that by any chance? I think they do um, in certain areas, but um, I'm I know not... in like South Korea, they're infamous for like having to weigh their food waste and paying per pound and stuff. Yeah, and um, I, I took a kind of a deep dive um, into the Seoul Korea food waste program and just absolute, you know, something like 95% diverted from the landfill uh, with their, you know, mix of, um, you know, those uh, RFID stations where you've got a card and you put it next to the machine and you put your food scraps in and, you know, the food scraps are weighed. So all that data is captured. Um, and then it's again, sent to the highest and best use, you know, some of it goes to animal feed, some goes to biogas, some goes to compost. And, um, you know, I think that that's, you know, an example of how you can do it. And plus there's lots of urban farming. Um, So, you know, I think that that's a a success story to look at for sure. I know that's one of the big criticisms about pay as you throw or this, um, you know, waste station thing in Seoul is like, wouldn't that incentivize illegal dumping? because people want to skirt the rules. And, you know, from my research, I don't know about yours, um, I'd love to know, but it doesn't look like, you know, illegal dumping is already happening as we stand. Why? I don't think it really um, increases illegal dumping. Yeah, I haven't seen a study on that, um, but I would like to. I'm kind of with you. I would think that folks that are going to do illegal dumping are going to continue to do illegal dumping and folks that, you know, are going (laughs) to follow the law are going to continue to do that. But, you know, um, it it could drive that up. um, But I, I have no idea, like, by what percentage or anything like that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. This has been a great conversation and I feel like other community composters should definitely reach out to you and, you know, get uh, in the system to receive your opportunities. Um, And yeah, I mean, you're such a knowledgeable guy in this field. So I hope to see you at a conference hopefully soon. 
Awesome, Charlie. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Take care. Have a good weekend. You too. If you enjoy the Community Composting Podcast and want to support future episodes, please follow the link in episode show notes to give a small monthly reoccurring donation, even if it's $5 to $10 a month. We'll continue to come out with killer content to keep the grassroots movement rolling.